Last week at our church weekend, I had a chance to speak briefly at our Sunday morning communion service on the theme, A Community Together. And I took that opportunity to say a few words about how there can be no Christian community or no authentic Christian community except for the cross of Jesus Christ. It's at the cross of Jesus that we see our own sin writ large And we find ourselves, therefore, much less inclined to judge others who sin against us. It's on the cross of Jesus that we see his willingness to to give himself. And that becomes the basis then for our self-giving and sacrifice for one another. There is no Christian community without the cross of Jesus. This outworking of the gospel into Christian communities, pretty much what Paul is doing in these latter chapters in Romans. From chapter 12, right through the midpoint of chapter 15, Paul's talking to the believers in Rome about their life together. At first glance, it looks like it might be a totally different section of the letter. You might superficially read it as though Paul's moving from from deep theology in chapters 1 to 8 and complex argument in chapters 9 to 11 into something totally different, very everyday and and simplistic even, and practical. But that, I think, would be to misunderstand Romans entirely. Everything that Paul says in these latter chapters is predicated on and flows from the, the gospel that he presented in the earlier chapters. And vice versa, actually. I think the reason he wrote so clearly about the gospel is because he wants to address real community life and he wants to establish the proper basis for the commands that he's going to give in these latter chapters. Paul began, if you remember, in the opening chapters by by establishing for us that all people are sinful and live under God's just condemnation. He went on then to share the good news or the gospel, the news that God himself has acted in Jesus Christ to make us right with him if only we receive him by faith. In chapters 9 to 11, it's probably the least accessible part of the letter for us. It's about the place of the Jews in the the plans that God has for the world. But now in chapters 12 to 15, he's unpacking the implications of the gospel for community living. And that's where we've been uh, the last few times we've looked at Romans. Throughout chapters 12 to 15, Paul urges the believers in Rome to live in the light of the mercy of God. So in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That phrase, in view of God's mercy, could be applied to everything that Paul says in the next three and a half chapters. In view of God's mercy, believers are to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. In view of God's mercy, they're to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. In view of God's mercy, they're to submit to the governing authorities And again, in the latter half of chapter 13, they're to let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt 
to love one another. Christians are to love one another. They're to live godly lives. And they're to do so in view of God's mercy. It's on this basis that we are a community together. In the passage we're looking at this evening, chapter 14, verse 1 through to 15, verse 13, Paul continues and completes his teaching to the Christian community. I think it's a very thoughtful exploration of what life is really like in a church family. He deals with the question of the strong and the weak, and you'll have picked that up if you were paying attention to the reading. Who are they? Who are the strong and the weak that he's talking about? There's no point in going any further until we establish that. Well, let's be clear about who they're not. Paul's not talking about people who are weak-willed when he talks about the weak. He's not talking about people who lack character as though they're, they're bad people. The weakness that Paul's referring to is a weakness of faith, and he means something quite particular by that. A person with weak faith lacks the confidence that their faith allows them to do certain things. John Stott offers this this picture. He says, if we're trying to picture the weaker brother or sister, we mustn't envisage a vulnerable Christian easily overcome by temptation, but a sensitive Christian full of indecision and scruples. He goes on, the weak lack what the weak lack is not strength of self-control, but liberty of conscience. Let's continue to think, though. I'm not sure we're, we're there yet. Who were the weak in Rome? There's some debate uh, in the commentaries about who exactly Paul's talking about as strong and as weak. But it seems likely to me that the people Paul has in mind are probably mostly Jewish Christians And their weakness has to do with an ongoing commitment to the Jewish law regarding their diet, holy days, and stuff like that. So as good Jews, they would have eaten only food allowed by the law of Moses. And as you probably know, devout Jews will only eat meat if it's slaughtered in a a correct way. If they can't be sure that their meat is, is kosher in this particular way, They'd rather not eat meat at all. That's where verses 2 to 3 come from. This idea of one eating meat and the other not. Devout Jews would also have observed uh, both the Sabbath and Jewish festivals. And that would make sense of what Paul says in verse 5. If we assume that Paul's speaking mostly to Jewish Christians... Or, or to Gentiles who've, who've taken on some of the Jewish customs, then I don't think we're going to go too far wrong. All very interesting. We maybe have an idea of who the strong and the weak were in Rome. But if this passage is going to have anything to say to us this evening, then we need to give a moment's thought to, to where our issues might lie and who our weak and strong might be. I didn't find any commentator who was willing to be definitive on this. What exactly our issues might be that that are analogous. If Stott's definition is right, that the weaker brother is a sensitive Christian, 
whose faith doesn't allow him to do certain things, then I'm willing to have a stab at what kinds of things we might be talking about. I wonder, are we talking about something like how we dress for worship? As you might appreciate, among the the thousands of people who were at worship this morning and this evening in, in congregations throughout the province, there'll be many who say that how we dress doesn't matter, while there'll be perhaps others, weaker in faith, who'll say that what we wear to worship definitely does matter. Maybe that's the kind of issue that we need to be thinking about. Maybe an issue like how we use Sunday is another example. Some believers have a very open and a very free understanding of what God has given us in his gift of the Sabbath. Others, perhaps of a weaker faith, have a very strict understanding of what can or what cannot be done on a Sunday. There are, I'm sure, other similar situations. I only got that far in my thinking. We can talk over a cup of tea if you can think of any more. There are issues which are not primary gospel issues. They're nothing to do with the heart of the matter, with Christ living among us, died and rising again as our only route to God. But somehow they they can be important to some and less important to others and, and they become these places of, of disagreement uh, and, and this is the kind of area Paul has us thinking in this evening what do we do with this stuff how are we to proceed well, that's the subject of, of our passage this evening Paul's basic command chapter 14 verse 1 accept him whose faith is weak. We can be sure that we've understood this is the major emphasis because Paul bookends the whole of his argument here. Chapter 15, verse 7, he comes back to it. He says, accept one another. In this passage, whatever else Paul's saying, he says at the start and the end, it's about accepting each other. Can you learn to do that? Everything that he's going to say in between will simply explore that. In both cases, it's really interesting to me, I tried to say at the start that Christian living is born out of the gospel. In both cases, he links these commands to accept one another straight into the gospel. Chapter 14, verse 1, he he says, accept him whose faith is weak because, verse 3, God has accepted him. God's accepted him. What are you going to do? Not accept him? Chapter 15, verse 7, he urges the believers to accept one another as Christ has accepted you. We accept one another because God in Christ has first accepted us. There's no grounds ever for a Christian not to accept another. We could probably finish there if it wasn't for that issue of the strong and the weak. Let's think about this for a wee while together. The way Paul goes about exploring his his major theme of accepting one another is by exploring three negative commands. First, he says, and it 
it deals with verses 1 to 13. He says, don't judge someone else's servant. Don't judge the weaker brother because he's somebody else's servant. Verse 1, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. In verses 2 to 3, he raises the food issue, uh, which was clearly causing some difficulties. And then verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? There's something not quite right about this when it happens to you. I'm sure it's maybe happened to you in your workplace. I can remember being in Coopers and Librand, working for a particular manager on a particular job for a particular audit or, or assignment. And somebody else would walk through the office. They would maybe have a sense of what you're doing. And they'd come in sideways and say, no, you don't want to do that. You want to do that. Or they would, there's something not right about that. When we have a boss and we're working for our boss, there's something inappropriate about somebody else coming in and, and passing comment. I remember if, if that ever happened to me, my natural response was, keep out of it. None of your business. Paul says that Christians are not to judge other Christians because we're not their boss. Only Jesus is. Jesus came into this world, died, and rose again that he might be the boss, the judge of all. Whenever you see it differently than a fellow believer, don't, don't regard it as your place always to be the final word on everything. Allow the Lord, who's my boss and yours, to be the judge. The first way to accept our brother whose faith is weak is to refuse to pass judgment on him and to leave it to his boss to evaluate his life and his work. Wouldn't it be lovely if our church was like that? If that was part of the essence of who we are? If I go back to that subject of how we dress for worship, I have to say, and you've probably noticed it over the years, that my position on this is one of indifference. I don't think there's a right answer. It's unlikely that I'll ever tell anyone who comes to church dressed casually that I want to see them back next week scrubbed up with a shirt and tie on. It's equally unlikely, however, that I'll ever challenge a person who is keen to come to church with a shirt and tie on dressed more formally as though somehow there were a better way. There's not. It's a matter of indifference. Let's learn not to judge each other. Let's learn to leave it to the Lord. Paul says in verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. That's the important thing. Each one of us should act with integrity according to what God has shown us and called us to. Paul summarizes the, the teaching of the opening 12 verses in the first part of verse 13, but then it's a transition verse. 
because in the second part, he gives a second negative command. The second way in which we can accept one another is by making up our minds not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in our brother's way. Paul's moving now from the realm of attitudes, don't judge, to the realm of actual actions, things that we do. It's one thing to accept that a person might see it differently than we do. It's another thing, again, to commit to not doing anything that would harm our brother or sister or hinder their growth. We've got to be clear, I think, about what Paul's saying here. He's not saying that if you find yourself disagreeing with a brother or sister in Christ, you've got to change your mind until you see it their way. He clearly doesn't mean that. Look at verse 14. He says, as one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. Paul doesn't agree with the guys who think that some food's unclean. And he hasn't shifted. He's thought it through and he still still sees it the way he sees it. Paul's identifying himself here with the strong. This whole thing, by the way, is written from the perspective of the strong. He is the strong and he's writing for the strong for the most part as to how they're to, to embrace the weak. Now that we're clear about Paul's perspective on this, notice in verse 15 what he says. If your brother's distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Notice what he doesn't say. If your brother's distressed about your behavior and you happen to know that it's fine, then tell him to wise up and catch himself on. No, he says, stop that behavior for the sake of your brother. And he roots it all again in the gospel. Verse 15b, do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Christ loves your brother and sister so much that he gave his life for them. If you're serious about following Jesus, then surely you'll be able to give up a little of your liberty for the sake of your fellow believer. In the end, Paul makes it a matter of priorities. And I think, I think there's a bit of humor here. He's sort of exposing the, the strong brother who's, who's proud and arrogant. Because he asks in verse 17, he says, The kingdom of God is, it, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. What's more important to you? What you're allowed to eat? Your Big Mac and fries or the kingdom of God? And brothers and sisters, that's what this boils down to in the end. These little things that we make so important to us, they they become roadblocks on our, our onward journey together in the kingdom of God. What's more important to you? He says, look down to verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. It's my prayer that we could be a non-judgmental church, I said a moment ago. I pray, too, that we can 
continue to be and, and evermore be a church that doesn't cause each other to stumble. Back to the issue of dressing for worship, for example. Let's be careful whoever we are. Just as there are dangers of dressing up too much and becoming a peacock, so there are dangers of dressing down just to shock or to irritate those around us. Let's do our best not to destroy one another, but to build one another up. When we're making our decisions, that's what, how we're thinking. Am I blessing the church family with this decision and with my behavior? Remember what we're doing here. We're looking at this basic command, chapter 14, verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak. And we're exploring this basic positive command by looking at three negative ones. Don't pass judgment on the weak. Don't cause the weak to stumble. And now chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. The first part of the verse there is a reminder that we're to accept the weak, but the second introduces a new command. Don't please yourself. Paul goes on to remind us what the goal of our life in the Christian community should be. He says each one of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So we long to be a non-judgmental church a church where we don't cause one another to stumble, but we long to to be a family committed to pleasing others rather than ourselves. Churches fight a lot, don't they? We, we do in here. We have our moments along the way, believe me. I wonder what percentage of the, the strife would vanish immediately if we weren't pleasing ourselves. If pleasing our brother and our sister, if building up the community was always our goal. When we're struggling with a matter in church life, we need to learn to set aside the question, what do I want? And ask instead the question, what will build? What will build my brothers and my sisters? This way lies Christian community. I've said it a couple of times this evening, Paul can't help but root all of these commands in the gospel. Look at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself. Paul's asked us to put others first, not to please ourselves. Why? Because it's a good idea? No. Because this is the way of Jesus. Here lies true Christian discipleship. He goes on to quote verse uh, Psalm 69 where the psalmist says, The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. It's a psalm that describes the, the unjust suffering of a righteous man. Jesus went about his life on earth, committed to identifying himself totally with his Father's will. He did not please himself. 
at any turn. He pleased his Father in heaven. And God was able to use that for the whole world. In the remaining verses of our passage this evening from 15 verse 8 down to 15 13, Paul slips almost imperceptibly from the unity of the strong and the weak into the unity of Jews and Gentiles also in Christ. Folks, that's been a key theme throughout this letter. Since all have sinned, Jews and Gentiles are alike. Since the Jewish law couldn't make a single person right with God, then Jews and Gentiles alike are in need of God's mercy and his grace. Jews and Gentiles alike are reliant on a new righteousness from God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans is about one people. When I studied this at college under Dr. Gordon Fee, the title for our, our book study was The One People of God. One people through faith in Jesus Christ. What could I leave you with this evening that would help you uh, as you take this stuff of the strong and the weak to heart? By the way, I think, I think this is one of those passages in the Bible probably be worth rereading it two or three times just to allow the ideas. There are a lot of different things going on, but, but the simple repeating phrases and ideas allow those to, to bed down into our hearts. In his commentary on this passage, John Stott suggests that Paul's material here about the strong and the weak, it seems very remote from our church context. I've tried to build something of a bridge, but he says that there are two helpful principles, and I maybe want to offer these to you. He says these would be applicable to all churches in all times. The first principle is the principle of faith. Chapter 14, verse 23, Paul says that everything must be done from faith. That means you do not do anything against your conscience. You can only do in good faith what, what, God ha, what God has shown you of himself, what you understand from his word. You must act in line with that. You must act from faith. Stott says also, interestingly, and I throw this out there, we need to educate our consciences by the word of God so that we become strong in faith growing in settled convictions, and so in Christian liberty. If some of our views are, are not fully informed, then as we come to worship, as we go to Bible studies, as God teaches us, then don't be surprised if your views change. I, I'm totally going off script here. I haven't planned to say this, but I think it's important. If you're the kind of Christian who prides yourself in saying... Um, you know, I haven't changed a single thing I've believed for in the last 50 years, then shame on you. What are you doing with God's word? We don't know it all. We're learning and growing. It's a good thing to be learning new things. It's a good thing to be strengthened in faith. So the first principle is faith. Only act in line with your conscience with what you have faith for. 
And the second principle is the principle of love. Maybe the first principle is for the weaker. Maybe if you have a weaker conscience, you're sometimes tempted to to do what other people are doing. Don't. Act only in faith. The principle for the stronger brother, the one with the stronger faith, is the principle of love. Chapter 14, verse 15, Paul makes it clear that everything must be done according to love. We need, therefore, says Stott, to remember who our fellow Christians are, especially what, that they are our brothers and sisters for whom Christ has died, so that we honor, not despise them, serve and not harm them, and especially respect their consciences. I don't know if you've had much chance or even inclination to watch the Glastonbury coverage on BBC over the last couple of days. I got to watch the rain-soaked U2 set on Friday night, and it's always a highlight for me when U2 play the song One. There's so much of, of the gospel, of community living in it. It's such an eloquent and heart-rending expression of what we've been talking about here this evening. Those lyrics, we're one, but we're not the same. That's the, the tension that Paul's been dealing with in this letter. These guys in Rome are one, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. They are one in Christ Jesus. But here in these last verses, he's shown us how they might be seeing the world differently and how that's okay. And they need to learn to love each other. We're one, but we're not the same. We get to carry each other, carry each other. Is your brother weak in faith? Accept him, says Paul. Carry each other. Carry each other. Just now I want to pray as I always do after I preach. But I want to use some of Paul's words. When you're doing a chapter and a half, you have to find some ways of doing the bits you've left out. There are a couple of little prayers or benedictions in chapter 15. Notice them and then we'll pray them. Verses 5 to 6. Paul prays there for a spirit of unity. Isn't that lovely? Whatever else we say about who's strong or who's weak, about what exactly the issues are, he prays for unity, that we'll be together. In verse 13, he prays for his friends in Rome to know God's joy, his peace, and his hope. Those are just the kind of things that they will experience if they learn to live this out. Will you let me pray for you using the words of the Apostle Paul? Let's pray.